Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Monday, February 21st. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I feel like I never left your side. That's how, that's how I'm feeling right now, but doing well. I'm excited that we keep to do these mailback questions. Fans have been, I mean, some of these are great. I, I loved it. Like the last, awesome. one we, the last one we started with the Philip Rivers question, that was uh, tickled my brain. I got to think <laughs> about the mid 2000s. That was, that was perfect. I love a little nostalgia, so. No, you guys do a great job sending these in. I'm excited to get get to more of them. It's why I enjoy doing them because the questions are always great and they're always worth answering and they make me think about stuff. You guys do such a great job with them that there's no reason for us not to lean into this every once in a while. And it's a perfect time to do it here as we wade into the off season a little bit. So we're going to keep going through these. Uh, a lot of good ones still to come. We're going to start with Corey Cranick. Said I sent in a question last off season asking if we'd ever see a non-mobile quarterback get drafted high again. It was pretty clear you thought it was must in this age. However, it feels like league attitude has shifted a bit after this season, with Mac being the best rookie and Burrow being great without being a huge running threat. I still can't shake the feeling watching these guys that they're still playing with a different set of rules than mobile quarterbacks, Allen Jackson, Mahomes, Herbert level speed. I have two thoughts and questions. Do you feel the same as last year about the rushing fat? Practically speaking, would you rather have Burrow or Herbert, also Fields or Jones? I still think I want the running threat, even if the week-to-week consistency isn't there yet. As a Browns fan, it feels like it should be part of the calculus with Baker. Even if he recovers from the shoulder and finds a way to be consistent, his play is still lacking that run threat and therefore capped at a certain level. If he had the same up-down play but was dynamic, I'd be more willing to stick it out. I, I have certain thoughts about this. I'm curious how you would answer this right now in February of 2022. Uh, it, it's actually really a continuation or a discussion from the last mailbag, and that's I, I'd much rather have Herbert just because of the room for error that a quarterback that can maneuver and create can do. And not that Burrow is, you know, some stiff. He can create plenty with his legs. That's actually, I, I think, really, that's not a limitation for him. It's just that it's he'd rather win from the does. pocket. Yes, it, it's, yeah, it really it is. He'd rather win from the pocket. And then he has that emergency, you know, break glass in case of emergency attribute to him and be able to create with his legs. We've got to see in the conference championship game. And I think that's that's what it is, is. Mike Jones is actually a great kind of like test tube to like watch this unfold. A guy day one coming into modern football that's truly a pocket passer. He's okay using his legs, like, but he he does not want to do it. You're not running design runs with Mac Jones. You're not running zone read with Mac Jones. You're not doing any of that type of stuff. So I think you need it. You need those guys that can create. It doesn't have to be, oh, scrambling around, running around like Lamar. But it also has to be just creating off-platform and getting a bucket is how I always put it. But extending plays outside the pocket. And then when, when you say that, it's turning a play that would have been one, two, three into one, two, three, four, five as far as time to throw. And that's what you need. You just need. And also the other thing is we we say athletic, athletic, athletic. It's big and athletic. 
You can't just be a skinny quarterback in these these days. It's too many hits. It's too many guys grabbing at you in the pocket. Too much speed coming at you. And that's where we're going to talk about Baker in a second. You know, some of the limitations of smaller guys crop up. And, and I'm talking height and girth as well. But these big, freaky guys, I, I just think it's like it gives you so much more room for error and room for success. The nuances of how we talk about mobility, it's not rushing threat to me. It's can you create something that isn't there? Are you a playmaking quarterback? The way that a play is supposed to unfold, you get a play call. Ball was snapped. The routes distribute how they're going to. The defense aligns how it's supposed to. Can you do something beyond what the details of the play allow? Can you do something that it shouldn't be there? Can you make your play call right when the play call and the defense that was called should make it wrong? Joe Burrow isn't Lamar Jackson the way that he runs but he absolutely can do that for you. Think about how many guys Joe Burrow makes miss in the pocket. My thing is, can you make a play that isn't there? And do you have a superpower? Do you have a superpower as a quarterback? You have to have one. Joe Burrow has one. Joe Burrow's pocket mobility and his anticipation and accuracy, I think, are there. But to me, his pocket mobility and the way that he can navigate that space, that is his superpower. Okay? Matthew Stafford has a superpower. The backside throws and the arm angles, the freaking no-look throw, to Cooper Cup. That is Matthew Stafford's superpower. The arm angles and the things he can do on the backside of stuff, that creates something that is not available in the typical one to two design of the play. So can you do that? Does your quarterback make your play caller right? Or does your quarterback have to be pointed in the correct direction all of the time? And that is what Baker Mayfield is. Baker Mayfield has to be pointed in the right direction. When he is pointed in the right direction, it looks good, man. Mm-hmm. He's got, he can really throw it. I mean, that, there's some RPMs on that ball, but if you break that picture for him in the slightest and he has to create on his own, think about how panicked he looks in some of those moments. Yeah. Kirk Cousins all is another example of this. Kirk Cousins, when it's all pointed in the right direction, it can look Amazing. real good, man. Amazing. Really yeah. good. He has a thrower of the football. He is really talented. As soon as you change one of those variables and the picture becomes unfavorable, it's over. And that is what you have to have. I don't think you need a guy that is a bulldozer like Josh Allen is on third and three, but I need somebody that is going to create a play that isn't there. That is the bar that I need cleared. Yep. And that's what it is. It's Herbert. And that's the other thing about Herbert. And we talked about this on the last mailbag is that, yes, he's a big freaky quarterback, but he's also cerebral as as it gets. And he goes to the right spots. And so that's why he is so good is that he can go to one to two to three if it's all clean for him. Or you can go to one to two and go, oh, screw this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go make something happen or I'm going to you know, change the angles of the throws. This comes up a lot in the red zone when because red zone happens so fast and it's usually one and done. You're rarely getting the two because that's just how it works. So when you see these guys, and this is where Mahomes always stands out, and seeing these guys break contain, change the arm angle, and throw a little sidearm ball to the sideline that's a touchdown – that play wasn't there. That's getting a bucket. That's creating something. And that's really the parameter for this. It's guys that when it's clean, they can create or clean, they can read it out. Guys, when it's not clean, they can create something or they can find the clean throw. It's like a pre-snap, post-snap operation. And that's what scares me with Baker always. I, I've made the joke that he's like Russell Wilson without the athleticism. And now as Russell doesn't scramble a lot, it's kind of funny how they kind of start mid, mid, mid in the middle. And having this where I bring up the size stuff as well. We think of size and the height with the quarterback position being, oh, they get the ball batted all the time. Guess what? There's tall quarterbacks that get the ball batted all the time too. 
It's more that they can't see that area of the field from zero to 10 yards over the middle of the field in between the hashes. It's just very, very hard. And when you see a guy like Baker who always has to drift back or kind of drift to the side to find those throwing lanes or just straight up just doesn't toes. throw. Or his tippy toes. Just finds a, or finds a way to avoid throwing those throws going, well, that's answer, that's 1A1 or that's 1 to 2. I'm going to always throw 2 because I can see it. If you ever notice, I always saw this in college. Was bait, They would run a ton of mesh. Of course, they did Lincoln Riley. On mesh, sometimes you can tag the outside route just to be a straight out route. I've never seen a quarterback throw the out route more than Baker <laughs> did on mesh. And I, it's vivid in my brain. Against Tennessee, you can look it up. Against Tennessee, he threw it like seven times. I'm like, read it out. Throw the dig. The dig is going to be wide open. I guarantee you if you read it out. But he just kept throwing the out for 12 yards. And it was fine. It's fine in college. I get it. NFL, those players are a little better. I think that's with Baker. He doesn't have that supernatural athleticism. He thinks he does. Like yes. He thinks he's faster he than he is. He absolutely does. And that's where you see his limitations because that it used to get away with it. And now he can't. So now he has to operate on time. And that's just not his deal. It's just that. Yeah, that's the limitations that him that crops up. And it just it became more prevalent this season as maybe, you know, his footwork really came unraveled throughout the season and he just didn't have that consistency to help him out. Going back to the Mac Jones part of this briefly, I don't know if Mac Jones has a superpower. Mac Jones might be like 96% of what Mac Jones is going to be. And yeah. we'll have to see how that ultimately plays out. But just because he was the best rookie quarterback so far doesn't mean he's going to end up being the best rookie quarterback. Yeah. Joe Burrow's ceiling to me was certainly higher than Mac Jones's even after that rookie year because of the pocket mobility and because of the ability to extend. Yes. If you look at even Joe Burrow this year, like the aggressiveness when anyone would send more than four, every single time they blitzed, there was a play available down the field because of how he could extend plays and just his overall physical skill set is better than Mac Jones's. So I think that Mac Jones, like you said, will be a good test case for that as well. Because if you don't have one of those obvious superpowers, even in a subtle way, the way that Joe Burrow does, what ultimately ends up happening to you? Yeah. And and that's the thing with Mac Jones is, yeah, like you say, he's 96% there. That's how I feel about Whatever too, the number is. Maybe it's 70%. I don't know. Yeah. But it's I think it's closer than it is with some of these other guys. Because he's well, how he wins is Mac Jones is incredibly accurate. So that's how he wins. Okay. That's his, that's his ace trait. Now... Okay, you could be super accurate if you're going to the ball with the right spot or you have the time in the pocket to find a spot to be super accurate too. Now, what if you don't? Now this O-line is good for the Patriots. What if in a couple of years it falls apart and he has to carry the team? Okay, that's where the question marks come up for him. And that's what you say. It, yes, right now, rookie year, he had the best situation for any of these rookie quarterbacks to drop it, be dropped into. But this kind of feels like it's it with him, which is fine. It's fine. Uh, but that's the thing. That's the difference when you get a Justin Fields Okay, you're looking for the flashes because then this is the he had a terrible situation that he went into with the Bears. Now you see the flashes. What if it gets more consistent around him? And now it's like, oof, now not everything has to be relied on him. And he just grows and those flashes become more consistent. It's like those highs are so much higher than like a guy like Mac Jones can hit. And I don't want to talk ourselves into that too far. I don't want to no. be caricatures of ourselves and be like, oh, look, think about those highs of Justin Fields and ignore the quiet traits that Mac yeah. Jones does well. Like there are aspects to the way that his feel in the pocket, the way he plays on time, mm -hmm. everything else, that is encouraging to me. The the timing of the way that Justin Fields plays, we're going to have a lot of second year quarterback conversations sure. here over the next couple months. But just a slight preview of that. I am worried, you and I have talked about this. The internal clock stuff with Justin Fields, the way the pace at which he plays the position does concern me at times. Mm -hmm. And it that is not the case with Mac Jones. So you're talking about two different things. You're talking yourself into 
the inverse of each one, right? Which just yeah. feels like, oh, the highs are so high. I'm willing to ignore the process stuff every once in a while. With Mac Jones, like, oh, whatever. The process stuff is fine. The highs aren't high enough. So yeah. you're, you're having two different conversations and it becomes really interesting. So we will talk a lot about those guys a lot more here as we get into the offseason. So no worries about that. Can't All right, wait. Marissa, what's our next voicemail here? Hey, Robin, Nate. This is Nick Tong from Brooklyn. Love the show. Uh, appreciate all the all the time and, and content you guys have given us over the over the course of the last few years. Um, with all the veteran quarterback trade rumors and, and movement over the last few years, and seemingly you know three to five first round quarterbacks coming into the league every single year, is it possible we are in a position now where we're going to have a quarterback surplus in the league with more qualified candidates than actual? position uh curious what you guys think of um you know we've always thought about quarterback as this very scarce position uh is it possible we're, we're heading in the other direction love the show and, and look forward to your answer this is a corollary i think of the conversation that we've been having but how would you answer this question okay it's for me it, it's a it's a two-part i'm going to talk a little bit about both sides of my mouth here i think that that low bar for starting quarterback like what looks decent out there I think the quality has has risen from maybe 20 years ago, 25 years ago. There are more competent quarterbacks now. Competent, yes. But but <laughs> the high end is there it's like the it's kind of the line going upwards. Like to get that high end guy, it's going to be even harder to find those guys. We talk about I just said Justin Herbert such a rare package of traits. It's going to be very it's harder than ever to find that because you don't win just being cerebral now. You have to be also a plus athlete with plus size and getting that package of guys or package of traits and one guy at a quarterback position is going to be harder than ever. But I do think that lower bar back in the day, it was, it felt like there's only like 10 guys that could really play as that quarterback in the league. And you're like, wow, every year, Oh, who's this guy starting Tommy Maddox. Yeah, sure. Come on down. And now it's more, okay. 22 guys feel like, okay, at least we don't look like a total shit show. We always want to get better, but that's the thing is that, each tier bump is a huge bump for team play. Quarterbacks raise the ceiling of your team. Each tier raises you another couple wins. Like each tier of quarterback is worth another one to two wins for your team. It just is. That's what it is. And now it's even harder to find that top, top tier guy. So it's kind of talking about both sides of my mouth. Yes, the bar is a little lower, but the ceiling is even higher for these guys, I think. All right. I'm gonna right. Let's do a little exercise. Okay. okay. In his four years as the Vikings starter, what do you think Kirk Cousins' quarterback rating is? Oh man, probably. I think it's right at 100, right? Like 103.5. 103. Okay. It was a th- big deal when I was growing up to be over 100. This is what <laughs> I'm getting to. Big okay. deal. <laughs> In three years as the Titans starter, what do you think Ryan Tannehill's quarterback rating is? Oh God. 99. 102. Oh, I know they're okay. all around there. In five years as the Niners starter, what do you think Jimmy Garoppolo's quarterback rating is? Oh God. Uh, 105. It's 98.3. Okay. Think I flipped it. <laughs> so all these guys are right in the same range, huh? Right? Yep. You can get that. You oh, can yeah. get the numbers and the efficiency that's going to, and quarterback rating is garbage. We all know that, but it's going to put you right at the old standard of really, really good. That is where the baseline level of quarterback play exists in the NFL. And this is for a number of different reasons. The three guys that I talked about are in incredibly quarterback friendly situations by virtue of the offenses that they play. Half the league now runs some version of the Shanahan system, which has always been an argument. The argument for it is that it lifts quarterback play to a certain baseline level. I think there are different 
offensive systems in the league. But I think that overall, the teams pressing the easy buttons more often, schematically, about putting their players in positions to succeed, about just a different view of how coaching in the league should work, has been one reason that quarterback play has been elevated. The rules have made it much easier to play quarterback Mm -hmm. in the NFL. The amount of passing at lower levels has made it a lot easier to play quarterback in the NFL. Finding a functional quarterback, somebody who is not going to trip all over himself while playing the position in the NFL, in my opinion, has never been easier. But where does that get you? <laughs> right. Who cares? Right. <laughs> we have, can find another one. <laughs> you have one of the dozen guys that you know can complete 68% of his passes and have a hundred passer rating and is yeah. all bunched up in that middle group. Where does that bring you? It it makes you just good enough to lose a lot. Like that's yeah. exactly what it does. So I think that filling that spot of starting quarterback on a depth chart and not being embarrassing, that is where the surplus exists. But that only means that the elite guys, they're still as valuable as they've always been. Yes. One of the guys that's a tier or two above it, like you were saying, is still an unbelievable advantage, even if the bottom tiers of quarterback look better aesthetically than they may have in years past. And it's also like, the question always with like expanding the NFL is like, oh, we don't have enough quarterbacks to go around. Now it's more, we don't have enough offensive linemen to go around. Yes. <laughs> it's like, cause we could have, if you have two, four teams, it's like, no, we can find guys that will make you look decent. Like you can find the Jared Goffs of the world. Like you can, like there's, there's Austin, be a like Jameis Winston. If you want to have him be a Win starter Jameis. this year, Jamie, Jamie yep. Garoppolo, like there are all these guys, all of these guys, just, if you want to keep moving them around from team to team, yep. it's going to give you a functional NFL offense for the most part but we need to be shooting higher than functional NFL offense. And I think that's yep. the conversation. It's, it's, uh, it's that it goes up exponentially. It's just, that's what it is. It's at the tippy top. There's only a couple of those, but then there's, yeah, the glut has gotten bigger at the bottom. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U S and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. So next one here, question for Nate. How often do teams run true spot drop zone as opposed to pattern matching? And what scenarios is that a good tool to use? Just very quickly explain the difference between spot drop zone and pattern match zone and which is more prevalent in the NFL right now. Yeah, I would say in the last seven, eight years, uh, match coverages have become just the standard. And what that is, is if you're spot drop zone, I'll, I'll, I'll reverse explain this. There's man, there's zone, there's match. Zone is I covered this area. Usually it's a flat, a hook curl, or I'm sorry, 
curl flat, a hook curl, a middle area, a deep third, a deep half. And so you have that spot, that spot drop. You are turning curl, running to on the field, like the seam. Seam area. And, yes. then, and, and it, then curl flat is the seam area to the flat, just as if you're flat. picturing it. Visual. And then cover two is just flat for the corners. But in that, I have that area of the field. There's some rules with it. Oh, I got to collision this guy, all that. But it's really sometimes it's just literally turning and running to your spot and then giving eyes on the quarterback and trying to. Eyes know, on the quarterback is a big it. difference, right? If you're looking at it, when you play that true zone defense, think yeah. about the Falcons in that Dan Quinn era early on when they allowed yeah. 17 million receptions to running backs every single yep. year because no one was looking at the players. They were all looking at, at the quarterback. All. They're all just looking back at the quarterback, trying to squeeze that. And I was like, oh, shit, we got a rally and tackle underneath. And match is I got one, I got two, I got three. Doesn't matter what body type they are. In man, guys, you'll match body type to body type. So a corner with a receiver, a safety with a tight end, a linebacker with a running back match body type. That's how you can really find these differences in man and zone when teams are trying to disguise. That's why I always make a big deal about like when teams shift in or they put the tight end, the slot, all that kind of stuff. Match is I have the number one spot. I have the number two spot. You only can go up to four. You only can line up four guys on one side because of formation rules. So what the rules are with that. So when you see spot drop more, it's kind of weaned away, but teams still run it as like a little bit of a change up. The Bucks, are, I would say are the most prevalent team to me mentally, the Bengals last year. I think the Giants have some spot drop stuff as well. And you usually see it more with cover two. But if you're running like a single high or a two high match, uh, or I'm sorry, spot drop zone, usually see it out of base personnel, out of base defenses, a 3-4 or 4-3 where there's bigger bodies on the field. And why that is is because you don't want the matching. with certain, It's more complex, the pass schemes that you might see um, out of sub personnel, which is 11-10 personnel for an offense. So if you're facing two tight ends or a fullback in a tight end, Okay, there's only so much you can get to if you're going to be in a traditional eye formation or a wing formation of that sort. So we'll spot drop as opposed to matching it because how the offense can attack you. Offenses use that to their advantage by going into heavy personnel and splitting it out. That's what Kyle Shanahan likes to do all the time because you get guys basic in their coverages. So usually, I would say overall, you only see about 10%. If I had a ballpark a grand number on it, I really don't know what the actual number is, but that's what it feels to me. Teams use it mostly as a change up. I sometimes like an offensive line because I just like to cross my metaphors here, but with an offensive line, sometimes you just full slide the protection because it takes it off the offensive line, off the quarterback to sort stuff out. Even if it's not always sound, sometimes the defense likes to do that too. All right. We don't have to match, figure out who's fast to the flat and who's the crosser and who has to take up that. We'll just go to an area and cover it. <laughs> and we could just take a nice break for us. Like if you get a three, four, four, three team as well, this is why the Bucks do it, because they like to be in a true 3-4 on base downs if they're in base personnel. You don't want Jason Pierre-Paul trying to pass off stuff and figure out who's to the crosser. It's much easier to have Jason Pierre-Paul run to the flat. It's just, just the personnel that you have out there. So that's when you see it more. Personally, when I like to see it is a second and extra long or a second and long call when you just kind of like, hey, hey, this is nice and basic, but we're not going to get screwed by some fast motion. We're not going to get screwed. We're just going to run basic and rally and tackle underneath. Um, that's when I like to see it most. But I just like it as a change up once or twice a game because quarterbacks will get on you and you'll start you'll still start, start seeing more fast motion. You start seeing more switch routes. And that's zone, spot trap zone is a way to kind of like be basic and not worry about all the complicated stuff the offense is doing. Long-winded answer to say it. It comes up every once in a while. No, that was great. That's exactly what I was hoping for. <laughs> Let's get to our next voicemail here, Marissa, from a 573 area code, which I love. How do you think the Rams win and how they went about it with their you know, team build, uh, philosophy toward draft picks, 
things like that. How do you think that will impact the league moving forward, particularly uh, this off season with a lot of big names like, you know, Russell Wilson potentially on the trading block. Thanks. And MIZ. So we, 573 is Columbia, Missouri, which is why the, the MIZ. Got so the, the beginning of that voicemail was a little choppy. So we played just the Rams part of the question. How does the Rams win and the way they go about their business? How might that affect things? I think a lot of other people asked a version of this question, essentially, how does the Rams success potentially influence the rest of the league and the way they think about resources and team building? This will be an ongoing conversation. I want to talk yeah. about this with Jordan on the show a little bit later this spring. But for now, I think the most interesting part about this is if I'm thinking about it in a theoretical way, what is a quarterback worth? What is the right quarterback worth? And that brings me to the Russell Wilson conversation. Paul in DC asked what a potential Russell Wilson to the Eagles trade would look like. I think those questions are connected. If it's three first round picks, if it's all those first round picks to the Eagles that the Eagles have, is that worth it to you? Oh yeah. I think so, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, think about how many people when that when that Stafford trade happens, like, oh man, two first round picks. That's a lot for Matthew Stafford. Yeah. It, mm, the right guy is so, okay. so, so important. It's, again, related to so many of the different conversations we've already had on these two mailbag episodes. If you go from a guy to one of the guys, that jump and what it can mean for you can mean everything. So what is the price tag? What should it be? I think it's higher than we like to admit it should, that it is. Yeah, I, I, I still... I, I because we've been workshopping these ideas and trying to like, you know, me and you, that's what's fun about the show, by the way, is me and you just kind of like expose our brains and our thinking processes to, <laughs> to all the listeners. And you guys see how dumb I am, but it's going from a, a, I really think that going a tier of quarterback and you also have to self-awareness with this. That's the number one thing is to, that to make these trades, you have to be right. And or, or at least feel you're right or justif- justified. Of course, no shit, Nate, but going from a, Average to a, a one tier above average quarterback, that's a first. If going from two tiers, average to good, that's two firsts. And that's how I go about it. Russell, in his best days, is MVP talk, I should MVP. say, let Russ cook. Yes. Yes, but Pro Bowl, pro, guaranteed Pro Bowl quarterback. That's what really Russ is, like in, in his best days, guaranteed Pro Bowl quarterback. Wouldn't you much rather have that than can this guy do it? <laughs> that you have with Jalen Hurts and it's like can this guy lead us there I'd much rather have that the hardest question answered and it's like okay and then what else do we have and then you just play pick up from there okay we can piece this together uh, we got to hit on that middle pick just makes all the other answers come to light so sometimes it alleviates some stress but I think I think you're starting with three first and then you got to start working some other stuff in there I mean just that that's what a true Pro Bowl quarterback is worth it, it's that they just I mean but it's worth it it, it that's it sounds like a lot, but it's worth it. And if you have the chips to play with, why not spend them? Like, why not bet them? Like, and that's what the Eagles are sitting on right now. But I don't know. I don't know really it is. But I, I really too like the Brady free agency and then the Stafford trade. It really shows how open these coaches are now about, hey, we're one and done with these years now. It's no more like the team building for four years. Yes, there are aspects of that. You want your building blocks. But now it's realizing, hey, we need a cherry on top. Hey, it's easy to adapt with these guys now. It's no longer like, wow, we need two off seasons with them. We need two spring balls with them to really develop him and really get a feel for the offense. It's Coaches are willing to do it now. And I, I think that's awesome. I think that's so cool because we're going to see more and more of these, not just with quarterback, but other players. The, the Von Miller trade, middle of the season. 
Like, you know, that it's happened before, but usually it's a cheapie. It's some guy for a fifth rounder, not like a true star player going in the middle of the season. So I think all that's a willingness from these younger coaches and this new kind of thinking of the NFL is that, hey, it's a copycat league, remember? Pretty easy to mesh ideas, like as far as midseason. It's a willingness. I think just willingness from all these people, players and coaches, execs, to adapt and to just find the best players. It's no longer this thing. It's like, we need a full training camp to get this guy up to speed. It's like, no, we can make these next steps. That's other positions, maybe not quarterback, obviously. But, but still, that's the Rams team building philosophy. That's the question it is. that's asking. And I think it's important to recognize that. Yeah. And you have to want to win the Super Bowl to win the Super Bowl. You, you have to want to get there. And as <laughs> these do. other teams are going to be super aggressive, like the Chiefs are trying to hunt for Melvin Ingram in the middle of the season. They're yes. all in all the time. Think about the way the Chiefs have spent over the last few years, going to trade for Orlando Brown, giving Joe Tooney that contract, moving the money around that they do. Those are the teams you got to keep pace with. That that's where this is right now. Right. You know, the Bills are spending to the cap with the ways that they've built this team. They're going to try to go get their Emmanuel Sanderses or the versions of that every single year. That's what the Bills offseason is going to look like again. You have to be willing to push this stuff into the middle. The yep. Rams version of it is more extreme in the yep. way that they've spent those first round picks, but it's important. We talked about this with Jordan on the show. You can't just think about that side of it and not think about the rest of it. Think about all of the quieter moves the Rams made to help them win the Super Bowl. Going to get a distressed asset in Austin Corbett when he, he kind of fizzled out in Cleveland. Figuring out that now he was a starting center until August. Yeah. And like, yeah, you know what? This isn't really it. We move him to guard. We put Brian Allen back at center. This is the pieces and how they all work together. What Ashawn Robinson was for them yes. in postseason. A guy like that who is an afterthought when you consider some of the other big splashy moves that they've made, but a quiet, super impactful signing in free agency. Cooper Cup is a homegrown player that they drafted in the third round. Ernest Jones was awesome in the Super Bowl. Him being back and getting those snaps instead of Troy Reader plays a huge role in them ultimately winning that game. Ernest Jones is a mid-tier or a mid-round pick that's a rookie. They need those sides of it. So it's tempting to say, you just trade all your picks away. You got to have both pillars of this to hold the building yes. up. And yes. that's what the Rams have done. And I think it's important to continue remembering that. If you look at value generated from their picks, even without as many picks, the Rams are pretty high on that mm-hmm. list. So it, it just, there's a way to balance this. And they have found that balance, but I think it's really, really difficult to strike. Drafting always matters. It, it just does. It, it's I know it. Yes, it's a crapshoot and all that, but you need to you need to hit. You need to like it's just otherwise you you get yourself lost in no man's land. Then you're trying to answer this and you're giving reps to bad players. Like that's the other fallacy when you draft a guy that's poor. It's like well we gotta give him a chance. We draft him in the first round. I mean, and so now you're playing a below average player, a hundred snaps or five hundred snaps, and it's like well if we just had a guy that wasn't this. So that's the thing is you always have to hit some picks and all that, but there's a million ways to skin this cat. That's team building is so understanding what you are and understanding when the circumstances are available. Do you think that this year began, the Rams are like, we're going to end up with OBJ and we're going to end up with Von Miller. No, but recognizing when there's a chance to attack, understanding we're this close to winning the title. This is where our team is. This is the landscape of the NFC. Let's take a chance at it. And yeah, that's what's, it's really cool because it's been years of, I I think the Ramsey trade so interesting to me because just mentioned on the other show was how hard it is to find a top tier corner. You usually got to take them in the lottery. I mean, it is what it is. 
all right, well, we're going to be picking in the 20s every year. So let's trade a couple for the top corner in the game. Like, and it's like, sounds obvious, but it's one of those where it's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> it's like, why don't teams do that? Like this guy was pissed off in Jacksonville. What's like, why not go after him? Cause we're not, this guy type of guy is not available. Always. You have to understand when those circumstances are available. And that's what the Rams did better than anyone is understanding when these circumstances came up and striking them. Right. Of course, it's all great when you win the Super Bowl and we can say all this, but I liked it throughout the season. It's like, hey, you got to understand when your window is and you got to take advantage of every opportunity you have to keep that window open or get through the window. There's a lot of conversations about pass rush versus pass coverage and the value of it. I think the Jalen Ramsey thing is such an interesting study in that because coverage is more valuable when you know you're getting the coverage. There's a volatility in the performance of corners versus pass rushers. The best pass yeah. rushers are typically the best every single year. Corners not like that. If you can no. guarantee you're getting the best corner in the league, the guy who's going to be the best corner in the league, that has a value that, in my opinion, outside of an Aaron Donald-like interior pass rusher, has value to your defense that nothing else has. So if you're looking yeah. at which defensive players theoretically could be worth two firsts and a contract extension, the list is like three or four guys long. And they yeah. happen to make the move for one of those guys. But the names you listed off before, Odo Beckham, Von Miller. I just said Von Miller took picks. But guess what those guys weren't? Those were They weren't outside free agents. No. You look at what's happened over the last two years. In the 2021 draft, the Rams had comp picks for Dante Fowler and for Corey Littleton. They also got two comp picks for Brad Holmes getting hired to be the GM of the Lions. In the 2022 draft, the Rams will have one a piece in the third and fourth round, their projected comp picks is my understanding of it because of the John Johnson, Samson Akubam, and Troy Hill signings. They will have three in the sixth round. They're not signing out outside free agents. The guy they spent money on last offseason was Leonard Floyd, who they had signed on a one-year deal the year before and had brought him back. There are little tiny secret ingredients to this sauce Yes, really, really help it. If you're making all of these picks, even if you're not making first-round picks, Eventually, you're still giving yourself dice rolls here in order to add talent to your team. That's a key part of this. Man, that Dante Fowler thing is stealing. It, but that's what it was. They understand. We have Aaron Donald. Trade nothing is, for him and let him walk in free agency. Yeah. Again, the third. What's, oh, what's, we have Aaron Donald, one of the best defensive players ever. Let's just rotate who he, who he plays with. That's, what it, that's, that's a team-building philosophy. That's their version of it because they understand the circumstances that they are in. Yeah. That you have one rock now. on the front side of your defense, yep. one rock on the back side of your defense, and everything else rotates around it every single yep. year. That's, what, that's yep. how they do this. It's very hard to pull off, but yep. guess what? Look at the Browns, okay? Miles Garrett is there. Javion yep. Clowney is a free agent. A lot of other questions. Miles Garrett is going to be that guy that the entire defensive front rotates around the same way it does with the Rams. This is a thing that teams are thinking about. So I think there are elements of this that are worth chasing, even if it is tough to replicate. I think it's understanding what stars are worth even more than we pay them. I think that's yes. like a, I think a good way to look at it. I, I remember reading in the NBA how a super max for the the top tier guys actually is you're underpaying the top tier guys. Like they can't be paid enough <laughs> in, like, in a sense. And honestly, quarterback obviously is that. But when you're premium position stars, pass rusher, pass coverage, offensive tackle, yeah, you really can't pay them enough because they're worth so much for. Think, think of getting a star tackle. Like say, say some team traded for a, a district. Well, Trent Williams coming off the sitting out for a year and all that, but that's a whole nother story. But if you were, manage to get that, wouldn't that help out the rest of your offensive line? Like, cause that, that's what stars do. They make everything else easier for the rest of your team or Flip you math. Your it's math changes. Flip the math. That's all it is. Yeah. All right. Next one here. Matt Strom says, 
Has the NFC ever looked as wide open as it does for the 2022 season? By playoff seeds, Packers might lose Rodgers and cap problems. Bucks lose Brady to retirement. Dallas seems shaky and has cap problems. Rams have potential retirements and free agency losses. Arizona, question marks. 49ers transitioning from Garoppolo to Lance. Philly, question marks. I guess the conference is there for someone to take it, but looks very mediocre or maybe just plain bad. Who is your too, way too early favorite in the NFC? My, I went with the 49ers, and I think it's more their defense, and I think the Lance drop-off, yeah, there might be some drop-off in some areas, but the, his strengths will bring a whole new bevy of problems for defenses. And I know they have questions on offensive line. I think this that type of offense negates some of the issues that you think are traditional issues. I mean, they just played the entire season with Daniel Brunskill as a right guard. And it was just like, I'm still like in shock that that didn't become a nu- nuclear factory for them every week. But I'm going with the 49ers. I I, I, I like what that defense is, man. And they're going to keep them in a lot of games. If Trey Lance is better than we assume, it's whew, like, hold on to your hats because that offense would be terrifying. I think if they're the team with the fewest questions, right? Because we know who the quarterback Which is going to be. <laughs> but if you're looking at this, if, if Rodgers is back, then it's probably the Packers again. The Rams, if all the guys are back, the Rams are probably are in that conversation again. I guess I think it's still the same teams. We want to project all of this turnover onto these teams. But if the core of these rosters are back, then I think the Rams and the Packers are still right in that conversation. What'd you go with? Just that, that's who you're at or Packers and Rams. I'm going to say the Packers. Yeah. Cause Packers was my other one. I said, maybe the Packers. If, if Rodgers is back, that. it's the Packers. It has to be right. I mean, what else I assume is Adams will be much? back. I assume they'll figure it yeah. out that they'll do what they need to do to keep him. So I, I to me, it's they got all their picks though. And the Rams yeah. are right there. Like I, I'm not ready to kind of anoint any weird team or throw anybody up there. I, I think that those two teams have fun with it. That we're the best are still the best. I know that's not a <laughs> bold <answer>. take. <laughs> I know that's like me, me going like, "Hey, I, I think Pat, that Patrick Mahomes guy is still pretty good, guys." <laughs> All right, Andy Saylor says, "Robert and Nate, thank, thanks so much for making the season so fun and interesting. We do our best. I appreciate you saying that." My question is: The NFL just expanded with the team in St. Louis. You're the GM. You can claim any active coaches, including head coaches, as your head coach, DC and OC, and any active player to start building your team, who would you choose? This is fun. It's kind of too easy because you can just stack your lineup, but I'm curious who you said. Head coach is Tomlin. Same. Mike Tomlin. Offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan. I'm sure, are you going to say same there too? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it would have been Tomlin or McVay. Those would have been my one too because Sean Payton's out of the league now, so I can't, I can't say Sean Payton. Okay. DC is fun because can't say Fangio. Because he's not in the league right now. Oh, uh, I said Fangio. I, that's that's funny. <laughs> so I had him one, but then I went Staley and Dennis Allen. I, I no Dennis Belichick, Allen, huh? No Belichick, just because I'm going to lose him in a year or two. He, someone's going to swoop him up because he's such a good coach. But I uh, actually want to be honest. I just didn't even think of Belichick. <laughs> it's just not fun. That's why I didn't right? think of Belichick. It just it, it's almost yeah. like a non-Belichick division is where I yeah. pull, I kind of pull these guys from. Yeah, I went Dennis Allen for my DC because I've always been a big fan of Dennis Allen of how he's adapted what his defense has done based on his personnel. I really what the job he did in the last couple of years has been. I know now he's the head coach, so it's not like I'm making any crazy statement, but it's uh, yeah, I'm a fan of Dennis Allen more than I ever thought of like getting in like than I would have been five years ago, let's say. But I I thought he's done a really nice job. And I think how he can adapt no matter what my defense is going to look like, he can he can handle it. I had Mike Tomlin as my head coach just because when you don't have to worry about who the coordinators are, 
in it's terms of being best. that CEO type guy who's at the center of everything, culture yep. setter, all of that. Mike, yep. Mike Tomlin's as good as it Adapts gets. Adapts to every personality possible. Yes, everybody. A, a, yeah, everybody. So a just as a head coach, like that, whatever that paradigm is, whatever that archetype of a true head coach is, he fills yep. that for me. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan. I think Vic Fangio is, we'll get to one of these questions that I think is, is really interesting a little bit later on. I want a coach that makes it hard on the offenses that he's playing against. Like, I understand yeah. that seems, doesn't seem revolutionary. Yeah. That's what Vic Fangio does. He makes it really hard for you to play offense. That's why people are stealing from that defense right now, because it's just hard to play against. So I want the guy who came up with that defense. He's still a very, <laughs> very good defensive coach. Who is your player? I, I have to go with Mahomes. I mean, that's, I feel like that's just a no brainer for me. If it's not Mahomes, it's Herbert. I went with Herbert just because I have to, like I'm committed. I'm already in. There's no going back now. Yeah. You rip off the shirt. You're going to have the Herbert picture right on there on the shirt. Like, I mean, I I get it. Uh, Also it's, um, I forgot what I was going to say with this. Oh, can I, uh, can I hire Mike Zimmer as my passing game coordinator? You certainly can. That would be on the table here. Anything on the table, passing game corner. uh, I have Mike Munchak as my offensive line coach. Uh, Oh, Callahan. Yeah. In my, in my world here. Yeah. And then we, I know what else could we get to? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Where else can I go? I'll go like Matt LaFleur as my quarterback coach. I'll just rebuild the 2016 Falcons. You know, I'll just build, rebuild that offensive <laughs> staff. That's what I'm going to do. I'll have, uh, I'll have Wade, Wade Harmon as my tight end coach. All right. <laughs> Next one. Brian Haza says, question for you, Nate. Can Carson Wentz be salvaged with better pass catching talent or the Colts need to cut bait and move on? We got a lot of Carson Wentz questions. That's why I wanted to answer this. Jordan from Columbus, Ohio left a voicemail. It was a little tough to hear. Chris Romanow asked about the QB future. And Andy, we got at least five questions about this. My opinion here, it's time. Oh, yeah. I don't know who the upgrade is, but it really does feel like Carson Wentz has lost Frank Reich. And the moment that he lost Frank Reich, it was over for him in Indianapolis. Just period. That's, I don't know who like. the clear upgrade would be. I would be very surprised if they weren't shopping hard over the next couple months to upgrade over Carson Wentz. Yeah, I just wrote cut bait. He is what he is. It, the mistakes he makes is not a, oh man, he needs upgrade. He needs some better receivers. He needs a better offensive line. The mistakes he's making are mental and in and, and a fundamental way in a, this, Hey, that's okay. If you're year two in the NFL, you have enough starts under your belt. This is what he is. There's no change. It is. There isn't when you're thrown back on a naked, I know there's only a couple of plays I'm just, I'll talk about here, but when you're thrown backwards on naked, like in situations you shouldn't, it's like he makes rookie mistakes that a veteran quarterback should not be making and not like a year two, year three guy, but he has enough starts where it's like, this is, what are you doing? And I know that this coach has faith in him. So he's trying to build confidence with him. So it's not like he's in a bad situation where you're like, well, that coach gets out of there. They're a little, you know, they're beating head, you know, button heads a little bit. He's trying to make a play. I, that happens sometimes, but no, no. This is the company. coach that would have been able to salvage Correct. Him. Correct. It's this is this is what you were hoping to get, or like this is the ideal situation you want to rehab him. And he still looked like two years ago he was le- legit the worst quarterback in the league. I mean, statistically, eye test everything, and this was like a half step better than that this past season. So he is what he is. All right, let's get to our next voicemail, here, Marissa. Hey, Robert. Hope this finds you well. Uh, first time, long time. I want to ask you and Nate a question about coordinators on one side of the ball or coaches who, who hire an opposite coordinator that seems to be uh, a scheme they want to go against. For example, uh, Frank Reich in Indianapolis, you know, hiring Iberflus and this kind of soft cover two uh, defense. <clears throat> Sorry, 
Uh, so yeah, more so court, and then, you know, John Gruden had an aggressive West Coast system, but he loved that four down front. I uh, hired Gus Bradley as well. It seems like there's court, and Vic Fangio had a pretty conservative ball control offense with, with Shermer as well. I wanted to ask you guys, why do you think these coaches who really excel on one side of the field seem to hire coordinators to have systems they themselves would want to game plan against? It's almost as if that they have coordinators uh, in teams that they have on the other side of the ball where they just want to protect the respective units that they coach. Uh, you know, for example, Kyle Shanahan, uh, you know, ran a really conservative, bland defense with Sala uh, for four years, and then Joe Woods added some variety, I know, uh, at the end before Sala left for the Jets and, and 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 Woods left as well. It seems like that if they thought more outside the box, like Sean McVay got with Staley, there should be some more dynamic results. Uh, appreciate everything you guys do, and shout out to Barrington. Thanks. What do you think about this? Uh, no, I, I mean, I agree. I wish point. more coaches. Yeah, I, I wish more coaches. That was when Dan Quinn came into the Falcons and they hired Kyle Shanahan. This is before Kyle Shanahan was Kyle Shanahan. I was well, well, according to some unless, people. Unless you read Grantland. Uh, <laughs> and it was was that he said Kyle Shanahan is the hardest guy to prep for for my defense. That's why I wanted to hire him. And it was that made a ton of sense to me. I was like, OK, yeah. I mean, wouldn't you want that? And. Yeah, there seems to be some bones with that to pick. Like, uh, not bones to pick. That's a terrible, terrible metaphor. Uh, but whatever. There's something uh, to it. Well, there's something to it. There's that. something to it. But there's, there is. And I think some of it is the old coaching thinking. There's a lot of the familiarity complex that happens in the NFL. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say old boys network, but there is some some aspects of that. That's where you see, hey, I know this guy. No, he's not going to rock the boat for my team. So, you know, I'm going to hire him and just, you know. Set it I'm, and forget I'm, it. You can contract out that. Yep. And so they just go, well, I hired. And so if you take a chance on some note, a Brandon Staley of the world and it goes wrong and you have to answer to ownership, you have to answer to a GM, you have to answer to fans and go, like, you hired this no-name guy to do that. I think that's what some of these guys were protecting themselves from. I do. And I think this is one of the going to be the off-season things. As these coaches get younger, as we get more guys that are truly Gen X, millennial type of coaches, they are willing to expand their tree. They're willing to try they understand what good is. They, I feel like they have such a better feel for the league and, and just knowing where they stand. That's something just, it's anecdotal, but I really do feel that's coming into the league. It's not more of this, well, I worked with this guy 14 years ago when we were GAs together. At some, There is some of that, but I think that we kind of are weaning away from going like, I just want the best freaking coach. And that's what we're starting to see more of. No, it's a great point. I wish all coaches would think this way, but it seems like a lot of defensive coaches are just going, I think that, that's an NFL offense and it's competent. You notice what he's talking about. At least I'll be average over there. Yeah. I think we're getting away from that, hopefully, but I think we'll see more of it. And that's why the Gus Bradley thing to Indianapolis is just like, ah, guys, what was that? Guys, it's just it. so uninspired. It, it, and Especially for them. And Especially Dan them. Quinn, I, I had the same reaction when the Cowboys hired yeah. Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn showed a, willingness to radically change the way that he was willing to go about this basically oh my god yeah we've seen gus bradley at all these different places it has it's not changed it not has not all. changed it's look it looks the same to the point that he Amazing. was literally signing all the same guys you know there's a one jaron curse in dallas but for the most part it's how how do i unleash these guys in the right way yep you know a lot more man coverage a lot more blitzes so many stunts I mean, the way that that defense looked was different than mm-hmm. I guess versions of the Falcons look near the end. They were doing some more of that stuff, but it yeah. still was. I was different flavor, totally yes. different flavor. Sorry. Yes. So that it just, that's my thing is like, we just want to be average on that side of the ball. And if that's what you're shooting for, I think ultimately that's what you're going to get. And you're probably going to be disappointed. The Brandon Staley thing with McVay hiring him. 
is a product of, I want something that's hard for me. That's what yeah. I want. I want a defense that's hard for me to play against. And I don't think enough coaches do that. I think this is a very good point, And it, it's a frustrating one. When you look at some of these hires around the league, Kyler, uh, let's, this one's going to, I'm going to absolutely butcher this. Uh, Tyler Kaluski, Kaluski. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I so I'm sorry about that. Tyler said, I've been a huge fan of listening for years. And I have a question I've been holding out to for months that I wanted to get both of your opinions on. So it's based on something Nate previously said. Back when Urban Meyer was fired, you guys did an episode talking about what type of coach system we best for Charlie Lawrence. And Nate mentioned how he didn't need a Shanahan type system since he was so advanced and willing to push the ball, et cetera. But the next topic was how Lafleur's system was a perfect match with Rogers because it gives him layups combined with his downfield precision. So I guess my question is, why wouldn't every team provide a system that gives the layups, even if the quarterback doesn't necessarily need them? Isn't that the exact thing we ding coaches for not doing? Sorry for the rant, Tyler from Philly. All right. I have an actual answer to this that okay. I that I think is worth exploring. Okay. If you look at the Shanahan offense and you look at the examples of the Shanahan offense that have been truly successful over the last five to 10 years, what are the best examples of them? 2016 with Matt Ryan. Yep. Rogers the last couple of years. Yep. Stafford this year. Yep. And I'll throw out 2018 golf, but that was just a, that was also an awesome offense around him. But that's really the ones that come to my head right away, like uh, off the top of my head. What is the similar through line between Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, and Matthew Stafford as it relates to those offenses? Man, good quarterbacks really make offense very easy. And veteran quarterbacks. <laughs> and veteran. Oh, great point, too. Yes. This offensive system has never raised a quarterback. Think yeah. about it. It's, it. it's existed for 30 years. Yep. And it has never raised a quarterback from infancy to start him ever. John Elway stepped into it as a veteran quarterback. He did very well, but that Shane was it. Plummer was it, a vet. Matt Schaub was Schaub. a couple years in the league before he came over to Houston. If you look oh, at so Trey Lance is like a real Trey test Lance tube for this. Is, is absolutely a test tube for this because guess what yeah. this offensive system does? It diminishes your quarterback. Yep. It limits the things he's doing at the line of scrimmage. When, if you look at what Joe Burrow can do at the line of scrimmage and check into plays and this isn't working, I want to get to this cover zero answer, da 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 da, da. There's none of that. There yeah. is none of that baked into the way this, this system raises its quarterbacks. And I think you could make an argument that in some ways it depresses quarterback development, even if it lifts the floor of those quarterbacks. The reason that the Packers are so successful with this offense is that it's in a combination of what Rogers likes to do with the RPO game and the quick game and everything else combined with elements of the Shanahan system. Same with the, the right Matt Ryan year. That was a, that was a hybrid offense. It, yes. The bones, there was a Shanahan offense. Don't get me wrong, but there's, there's a lot of tweaks that were Matt Ryan, like favorites. There's a lot more scene balls. If anyone remembers that you've ever seen in a Shanahan offense, cause that's what Matt Ryan likes to throw. I, I think it's the Shanahan offense gets you layups. It gets you layups, gets you layups, get you layups. You need some three-point shooters, and that's what a, a quarterback does. It's like, yes, you're getting those two points, and yes, I can hit a single. I'm, I'm using every sport possible here. Yes, we can hit singles all day. Sometimes you need a guy that's going to swing over the fences and bring everybody home, and that's what those quarterbacks do. The the Stafford no-look play, and it's going to play on loop for years and years and years, in my head at least, <laughs> is that play Stafford is progressing on. He goes one to two to three to four on that play. That's how quick he does it. 
90% of those quarterbacks, the Jimmy G's of the world, the Goffs of the world, the Kirk Cousins of the world, would have taken the underneath throw and it would have been catch and tackle for seven yards all day every that's day. That's what they've they been programmed to do. Program. That's seven. That's the single or double. That's like, hey, that was a pitch. Hey, we, we made contact. We made contact with the Staffords of the world, the Matt Ryans of the world, the Aaron Rodgers of the world, the top quarterbacks is there's a single option. I'm going to hit the triple right here. I'm, I'm tilt my shoulder up a little bit or throw in a no look pass, however you want to put it. But that is what those guys create is they had two available options. They took the more aggressive one. And that's what these quarterbacks do. It raises the ceiling of the play call, the team and the play call. It's getting the most advantageous weapon of that concept. And that's what these guys do. So, yes, their layup was there. But he said, nah, I'm kicking it out. And I'm hitting a three-pointer. Now we got three points instead of two. That's what, that's what those guys do. Talking about having two options and going with a slightly different one. Think about what the Chargers did last offseason. Brandon yep. Staley comes from McVay's staff with, with that offensive system. As he picks the offense he wants to run for Justin Herbert, he goes to New Orleans and picks that, which is an extremely quarterback-centric system. That plays yes. through its quarterback. That puts a lot on its quarterback. It's a hard offense, guys. <laughs> they hire Shane Day, who is the quarterback's coach in San Francisco, as their passing game coordinator because you sprinkle in elements of the Shanahan offense rather than having the baseline and the bones be that system because there are different things you put on your quarterback with all these different versions of playing offense. And again, we have never seen a quarterback raised from the beginning of his career to stardom like true elite quarterback play within this offense. The best example is Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Yeah. In a funny way. Yeah. That's right. I don't think I'm missing anyone. No, I know. Cause I'm trying to think of all the two thousands guys. And it's like, no, uh, uh, Shab was there aren't that many that because there was that, no, there's little, a, there was that there's weird like dip in the two thousands yeah. where not a lot of people were running this offense. There's Broncos and Texans. And then Washington became one. And then, then, then it proliferated <laughs> throughout the league. Well, you can look at the like, Cleveland year. Cleveland year was Hoyer. Yes. Like, you know, it was so Hoyer and then it yeah. was Matt Ryan. And then now people started running all of this shit. It's because from 2000 through 2010, all everyone wanted was Peyton Manning. So there was no just copying into this offense because the type of quarterback and the vision of the guy that you wanted and the offense that you wanted to run looked a lot different. So this is like a football history thing that we dig into a lot, but I think that's part of it is that I wouldn't necessarily want to drop my very young quarterback into this specific type of system because you get layups, but there's a chance all you get is layups. Yes. And it's like, well, but that's what, that's what's so fun about Trevor Lawrence. That's why I had that comment is he doesn't need the training wheels. Training wheels will help. Like, yes, it's going to make it look more competent, but he's a ceiling raiser. That's what he is. It's yes. He needs a breather. Everyone as actually a great, like, well, like little data point here is what the Bengals ran this year because they kind of run greatest hits offense a little bit with their stuff. They did not make it easy on Joe Burrow. No, no nakeds, no sprint outs, barely any screens, no play action. I could do more of it. (laughs) Please do. Please make it easier on this guy. Like, but they didn't run it. They didn't run a naked. They didn't run a screen. They ran a couple draws and it was like just none of those change up plays that help on your quarterback. It just takes some weight off of them. And so that's what this offense does. It takes weight off of them. It's a, you it's one to two. Everything's easy. But yes, that's what I like. I'm so optimistic about Trevor Lawrence is I've seen him run harder concepts. That's not split field reads. That's not true progression stuff. And he's able to do it. That's why I'm very optimistic with him. So he's a ceiling raiser. All right. Last question here from Brandon Southward. Slightly non-football one. What is your most unpopular take? This can be about okay. food, sports, anything. What's a take you have on something that no one else agrees with? 
I have a couple, and I don't know if they're too controversial, but we'll see. I think pizza should only be the holy trinity as far as toppings. So it's just either cheese, pepperoni, sausage. And I know we had a delicious pizza last week, so don't don't get mad at me. What, but what a terrible, pizzas. terrible opinion this is. Why? I, I think it, it should just be the whole trend. It, it's people have gotten too crazy, man. And I, I we got to rein these millennials back in. We got to rein them back in. We got too crazy with these funky ones. But the fact that pizza, it's a it's a nice treat every once in a while to have the funky stuff on it. But just having a nice, really good ingredient pizza, it, it's like that's all you should, that's all you need to do. It's, that's all you need to do. You don't need a whole pie. That's pineapple and chicken. You don't need a whole pie of it. That you well, need pineapple a slice. and chicken is just ridiculous. But there, are, people do it. <laughs> no, there, no, this is just wrong. Like you, you disagree with like peppers on pizza. Like the one so of the staple. That's pizzas, an auxiliary item. One of, the, one of the staple pizzas at the place by me in Chicago is poblano peppers and pepperoni. It's awesome. Okay, so that see that to me, peppers is its own little thing. I'm talking about like the meats and all that. Because okay, because what about to mushrooms? Me, like you can't my, put mushrooms on a pizza. I, I'm not a big fan of that. Oh no, God. I know that this that's a classic a item. Take. I know. So I know. Oh, I, I had a worse one. I took away. But they, they but honestly, put it. I love jalapenos with my pepperoni pizza, but yes. I still consider pepperoni the basics, the basis of it. That's yeah, why I, I think the pepperoni should be on most pizzas, like pepperoni or some sort of spicy sausage. Like, okay, whatever. we're still in the Trinity there. That's two of them. So some sort of like, yes, yeah, I think some sort of like spicy Italian meat should be on a pizza. That is to me the baseline of pizza. Sausage is very good. But yeah. I only having those things is just wrong all right what's your next one? Oh well uh <laughs> uh i i i don't know if you know this about me but i i used to really like new metal and i still do but oh I, my god I, limp biscuit actually has some bangers and i i i will stand by that i will stand by that take i know that makes me a basic give me Midwest. some examples oh man rearranged uh rearranged is a good one and then if you get you start getting into some of their kind of like I would say slower songs. I'm opening up my Spotify as we speak because I have more of their songs liked. I also liked In Together Now with Method Man. That was that was a good one. Uh, other songs, Walking Away, also a great song. But like Whip Biscuit, Behind Blue Eyes, or uh, um, uh, yeah, Behind Blue Eyes, they have a cover of The Who. Great. That's a Who actually, song. <laughs> I know. That's a cover. It's a cover. I'm not going to like say everyone thinks of like break stuff and all that. It's like, no, no, I'm not going nookie. I'm not saying like that. Take a look around. My way, my way was also a great promo for wrestling X seven between stone cold and the rock. And it's like one of the most iconic wrestling promo, like this is the most packages early two thousands thing you've ever said. I know. Can you believe I'm from the Midwest? Like, <laughs> can you believe this is what I love? But yeah, that's, that's one of my, I think it's a very unpopular take to say, I mentioned that to Jordan Rodrigue because Jordan Rodrigue is a big rock fan. And so I was like, I actually sent her a limp biscuit song. Cause she sent me one for uh, by tool. And I was like, actually, this song's pretty good. And she's like, if you told me in 2021 that I'm listening to Limp Biscuit, you were like, she like, I, t- I could see my like standing in her eye drop like a whole tear. We're talking about as it tears. should, as it yes, should. Yes, it should. Hey, these weren't popular takes. These are unpopular takes. All right, I'm I want to hear some of yours. I have like three. Okay, okay. My first one is I think Christopher Nolan's filmography is fine. Like I, I do not like Christopher Nolan movies compared to the. I, I was trying to get a movie one Nolan in, in mind, and I, I just couldn't rope one in. So yeah, I just but, okay, okay. Christopher explain. Nolan's movies are not important to me. I don't think okay. there's some like high art. They're they're whatever. Interstellar is overrated. I I'm I think Interstellar is overrated. I don't think Dunkirk is that great. I like the I like The Dark Knight a lot. I enjoy the Batman yeah. movies, but I don't think Inception is some cra- like drastic. Memento's great. Memento is good. I enjoy Memento. Yeah. I the things that have come after it, I think their intellectual yeah. reach far outseeds their grasp. 
I, I just Inception. Inception's one of those first time you see it. Holy shit, what a movie! And then the next time you see it, right? Well, you think about it for okay. ten minutes. You're like, this is yeah. You're like, this is dumb. Okay. So yeah. I've I've never really liked Christopher okay. Nolan movies. That's that's like one that. of mine. I've said this one in public before. I think most fries aren't worth it. Like most French fries, I just I don't need them. I think I can't with you that one. <laughs> I think most of them are just whatever. Like fries, yeah. a really good fry, like a really crispy, high quality, like skin on fry somewhere, like a duck fat fry from a place that like comes right out of the fryer. Great. Most fries, they're worthless within like five minutes after they're they've been cooked. They get soggy. I, get I like stuff on fries. Like I like a poutine. Fries as a base of something, great. Yeah. Like a loaded like nacho fries of some kind. Animal style from yes. in and out or something. Give me like that. that. That's yeah. fine because then the sogginess doesn't matter. They're the base of something else. But a, a fry for the most part goes to hell way too fast for me. What's your normal fry dipping sauce? Like if you're just getting a fry and you you had your choice of like a dipping sauce, do you are you a ketchup guy or aioli? I'm like an aioli person, like a garlic okay. aioli or like a some sort of spicy aioli I enjoy with a fry. Yeah. Um, okay. So I just I'm not a fry person. I think that most fries aren't worth it is kind of how I would phrase it. The best fries are great, but like fast food, yeah. I would never get fast food fries plain. Just no interest to me. I, there are so many yeah. other things I'd rather eat. Those kind of make me sick now. Other than that, once like I've had a McDonald's fry lately, and it was like the fries made me sick. Not not the chicken nuggets I had. No, it's the fries that made me. Yeah, just <laughs> made not me not a huge fan. All right, guys, that's all we got. That's all we got for a while. Dane and Lance will be back on Wednesday with their draft show for the week. So please check that out. We will be back next Tuesday, taking the rest of the week off. We're going to take a little bit of time. We are in the very short off season. (laughs) That's a week long this year before we get to the combine starting on Tuesday of the combine, March 1st. We'll be back that whole week. We will be back four times a week, including Dane and Lance's show all through the draft. So not a lot of time without us. We'll be back in full force starting a week from now all the way through draft season. We will have all of your free agency needs covered. We will have all of your draft needs covered. Very excited about all the things we're going to roll out here over the next couple months. For now, we are going to take a little break. Again, really appreciate you guys listening all year. Sincerely appreciate the support. Sincerely appreciate all of the questions. For these two shows, the fact that you guys take the time to put as much thought into them as you do sincerely means a lot to me. So for Nate, for me, thank you guys very much. We'll talk to you pretty soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.